chapter 15. If you have a Bible with you, uh, please do keep it open there to Romans chapter 15. We're going to be spending the remainder of our time together. We've been going through the book of Romans and listening to its message to us. And it is so, so important because perhaps there are, fewer, there are perhaps fewer places in the New Testament where the gospel from beginning to end is outlined in so much detail as in the book of Romans. What is it that we as Christians should believe and hold on to? There's perhaps nowhere clearer in the New Testament to go. And so it's so very important as we've come to see that this good news of the Lord Jesus Christ is so good for the reasons we've been saying all the way through this morning. It's good news because it is news about peace with God. This world was at war with God. We declared war against him. We rebelled against him, committed treason against him. And instead of destroying us as a tyrant would expect to destroy his enemies, instead of destroying us, God sent his son to rescue us to give his own life to be destroyed so that the enemies of God could be changed and transformed. This is the good news of the gospel. Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified, that is, declared right with God through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the good news. We have peace, peace with God now. Not because we deserved it, because we did anything to contribute towards that, but purely by God's grace, God has intervened and created peace where there is no peace. God gave himself in human form through the Lord Jesus to die the death that we deserved so that we could enjoy the peace that we do not deserve. He gives that to us freely as a gift, says Paul in Romans 4. And simply because of this, simply because of the grace and mercy of God, we now have peace with God. And so we've been exploring in a lot of good news like this, well, how does that affect the way that we live? And we've been saying that we live, our whole lives is shaped by these two key sort of poles. The one is that we live by God's grace in view of his mercy. That this grace, this mercy, this compassion that God has showed to us forms and, and shapes everything that we do the way that we relate to each other and to the world around us, and also that we live for his glory. We live in a, out of gratitude for all that Christ has done for us, wanting to give him the praise that is worthy of his name. We live by his grace. We live for his glory. And we've seen what that means in terms of the governing authorities of the world. And we've seen what that means in terms of relating to uh, differences within the church and to different people from different backgrounds within the church and of different convictions within the church. But now we're going to think again about, well, what does this mean in terms of the world that we live in? And the answer is that living a life in view of that mercy, that grace, that grace that says that we now have peace with God, means that we should, like God, want to take that peace to others. To take that peace to as many as possible. We do this for, for a number of reasons. The first is that we do this because this is the God who we worship. We worship Christ, who is himself a servant and a missionary of that message of peace. You see this so clearly if you look at, at Romans chapter 15, verses 7 and following. 
Look at this one. It's so easy for us to pass something like this by, but just look at this wonderful description of who Jesus is in Romans chapter 15 and verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. This is what we covered last time we were in Romans. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. There you have it, by His grace, for His glory. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant. Just think about that for a moment. Think about what glorious news that is, what a description that is. We are talking about the high king of all of the universe, the king of all creation, the one who formed and fashioned the world, the one who has every right to demand obedience and to demand service. What, how does he live? What does he respond as? Well, he has become a servant. He's become a servant of the Jews. Why? Why did he become a servant of the Jews? Because he was also a servant of the truth. Look at verse 8 again. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. In other words, Jesus is serving the Jews because he's serving the truth. And in order to serve the truth and to bring to fulfillment all of the promises God made in the past, I mean, we're talking not only the fulfillment of predictions made thousands of years before Christ, but we're talking about every type and shadow, every foreshadowing of what the gospel would be. Christ is bringing it about because he's serving the truth, the truth of this message that God is a God of peace. And why has he become a servant of the truth? Or why is he a servant of the truth who has become a servant of the Jews? What is the end game here? So that that service, so that that truth, so that that fulfillment of all of God's promises, so that that peace, that message might go to all of the nations. Verse 9. And moreover, that the Gentiles, that just means nations, you might have noticed earlier, I read nations wherever it said Gentiles. If Gentiles confuses you, just think nations. And moreover, that the nations might glorify God for his mercy. And then Paul throws in a string from the prophets and from various parts of the Old Testament. Therefore, I praise you among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice, you nations, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you nations. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, the root of Jesse, that's Christ, will spring up. And the one who will arise to rule over the nations, in him the nations will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why overflow with hope? Why overflow with joy and peace? Because Christ's intention is that this message of peace, that he has made peace where before there was war, he has declared peace through his death and resurrection, that message... Christ intends to go to the ends of the earth, to the nations. Not just one nation, every nation. There's this great passage in Isaiah where the prophet Isaiah is rebuking the nation of Israel for all of the kind of idolatrous practices that they had started to kind of absorb from the surrounding nations. And one of the key practices was to sort of make little statues or idols and bow down to them and worship them as representatives of their, their gods. And Isaiah says, can you not see how silly this is? You know, you go outside, you, you chop up some wood, you come inside, you take 
some of the wood and you chop it in half again and you throw half of it in the fire and it becomes firewood for you. And the other half you carve into a statue and you start to worship it. Idolatry is silly, says Isaiah. You're literally worshiping your firewood. And he goes on with a series of examples like this. And he says, but actually what's more than that is don't you see how you're becoming like the thing that you worship? Because here's the truth about worship. Everybody does it. Everybody worships. It's inbuilt within us. We cannot help it. We must worship because we were designed to worship. We were designed to be creatures who worship the one true living God. And if we will not do that, we will find another outlet for worship. That's the truth. Everybody does it. What do we mean by worship? We mean give ultimate worth or value to something. Somebody, you will find ultimate value in something. It may be yourself, it may be somebody else, it may be your family, it may be your career, it may be your possessions, it may be some political ideal. You will find something to worship. But what Isaiah says is that this matters not only for truth's sake, because you might be worshiping the wrong thing, and unless we worship the God who has revealed himself in the Lord Jesus, we are worshiping the wrong thing. But Isaiah says that not only that, but you will become like the thing you worship. So can you not see, Israel, that you've become a nation that cannot see, that cannot listen to what God is saying to you, that cannot act to obey God's commands, because you worship something that cannot see, that cannot hear, that cannot act. You're worshiping a lump of wood and you have become just like that lump of wood. Useless. Blind to what God is doing in the world. Blind to the obvious fact that there is a God. Blind to, uh, deaf to all, of, all that God has spoken over the centuries through his prophets, through his acts in creation, through his acts in redemption, and especially through the Lord Jesus Christ and now through the scriptures. Blind, deaf, dumb, cannot act just like what you worship. Well, here's why this matters for us this morning. It's because we should worship Christ. And if we worship Christ, we should become like the Christ we worship, which means we have to know who Christ is. And Christ is a servant missionary of the gospel of peace. And if we worship Christ, who is a servant missionary of the gospel of peace, then we too will become servants and missionaries of the gospel of peace. Now, that doesn't mean all of us are going to pack our bags and work for full-time mission work or church work or travel to some faraway distant location. And we're very thankful to folk like Keith and Lorraine who are doing that kind of thing, and we, and we support them and pray for them and send them off gladly. We'll think about more about what that means. But the point that I want us to take away now is just to know this is Christ. This is who he is. He's a servant of the truth. He came to proclaim that truth. He came to serve it and fulfill it. He came to take that message of peace to the ends of the nations. And if we worship him, we should become like him. So if we sit here as Christians, and I realize not everyone here maybe is confessing to be a Christian, but if we are here confessing to be a Christian, and we have no heart to reach those who don't know this gospel of peace, to proclaim it to them, not to coerce them or force them, but to let them know it. 
that they would hear it and understand it. If we have no heart for that, to see the lost come to know this good news, then we have to ask, are we worshipping the right Christ? Perhaps we need a clearer view of who Jesus is. So the first thing that we need to see is that Christ is the servant missionary. That's who he is. And we should become like him. But secondly, Christ isn't just a servant missionary who served once and that's it. But he's a servant missionary who continues to serve in the church now. And serve through the church now. In other words, it's not just a past action, a missionary event, Christ's death and resurrection. That's the basis for all of it, yes. But it is still an ongoing work that happens today. Um, let's say, for example, and this is, you know, I just want to say this could be a hypothetical illustration. This could be something that really happened. I will leave that to your imagination. But let's just say a particular family went camping. And a particular family went camping, and it was a sort of rainy day, one day on the campsite, and, and that particular family was starting to sort of pull their hair out a little bit, and were looking for ways to, to make things a little bit more, more fun and exciting for the four small children that hypothetical family had. And one day, the, the dad of that hypothetical family comes up with an idea, and he will take the kids around the campsite for a drive. You can only drive about five miles an hour in the campsite. It's something to do. Yes, it was that bad, hypothetically. The, um, the dad then decides that, well, I know what will make this fun, is I'll place one of the children on my lap and allow that child to think that they are driving the car, when in fact the dad is not driving the car. This is something that, in fact, this dad had seen many other dads do on the campsite and felt it was time that this dad hypothetically gave it a try. And it was great. And for a while, the children genuinely believed that they were driving the car, when in fact they had absolutely no control. It was me driving through them. Really, they just had their hands on the steering wheel while I moved it around. That dad later got told off by the campsite owners not to do that anymore, and so sadly that fun came to an end. Hypothetically, of course, maybe. Maybe it's true, maybe it's hypothetical. I'll leave that to you. Uh, you can ask me over coffee. The idea is that when Christ is at work in the church, he does so in much the same way. We're at work, but he's at work. We think that we're fulfilling the mission for him. He's fulfilling the mission through us. Paul makes this so clear, the way he speaks of his own ministry in verses 14 and following. Just look there for a moment. In, Acts, in Romans 14, verses uh, Romans 15, verse 14 and following. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with the knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet, I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the nations. Can you see what's going on there? The way Paul describes himself, he is, he is a product of grace. He is something that God has done. God has given him to the church. And can you see that he is now becoming like the Christ he serves? Christ is a servant, missionary. Paul 
too describes himself as a servant of the gospel, a servant of the nations to proclaim the gospel to them. So he becomes just like the Christ that he serves. In fact, he is only there, he admits, because of the grace God gave to him. Some of you will know the story about Paul. Actually, he was a persecutor of the church. And the only reason he became a non-persecutor and a follower of Christ was because Christ appeared to him in a blindingly obvious vision to redirect his life and to use him as an instrument to reach the nations. He knows it was not because he was cleverer or better or wiser or more godly or uh, more moral than anybody else that he is now a servant of the church. It was purely by the grace of God. He himself is a product of God's grace. But listen to what he, how he describes his own ministry and the way he acknowledges this in verse 17. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus, my service to God. I give the glory to Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. By the power of of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. And this is why I've been hindered from coming to you. Can you see his description of his own ministry? I will not speak of anything except for what Christ is doing through me. And then he goes on to talk about some of the evidences. This is how you know. This is not me at work. This is Christ at work through me. It's marvelous, I know, but that's what's going on here. And the same is true for each and every one of us. It's not us at work. It is Christ at work. And in particular, it is Christ at work through the preaching of the gospel. Because that's who Christ is. He is a preacher of the gospel. He is a servant missionary of this gospel, and he is still at work today through the preaching of the gospel. The preaching of the gospel happens primarily in two ways today. It happens through this, through the preaching, that happens as we gather Lord's Day by Lord's Day, and through the non-verbal preaching that happens in the Lord's Supper and Baptism, which we traditionally call sacraments. Verbal preaching of the gospel, non-verbal preaching of the gospel. This is the two main avenues of where Christ is at work to continue to disciple the nations. Go into all the nations, says Christ in Matthew 28. Baptizing them, non-verbal proclamation. And teaching them to obey, verbal proclamation. But that's not the only way Christ is involved. But this is the primary means that Christ is here with us through his word, his word spoken, his word made tangible. And as we see this, as we see Paul celebrating this, it gives us confidence to know, do you know what, this Christ who is serving the gospel and seeking to take this gospel to the nations, it's not just something he did once upon a time, it's something that he continues to do now in and through the church. It's why we give so much attention to the word, so much attention to the word in the way that we worship, in the way that we live, because it's in Christ's word that he is present with us, that he is continuing to work through us. 
This is what we hope will take place every Sunday, every fellowship group, every midweek one-to-one catch-up, every carol service, Christmas Day service, every crib service, every children's Sunday school, that Christ will be present and at work through his word. And finally, finally, Christ is not only at work through Paul's preaching, but Christ is also at work through the church's support of Paul's preaching. So have a look, finally, with me at Paul's big plans that he outlines in verses 23 and following. So Christ is still at work today through the preaching of the gospel, but Christ was always at work, not only through the preaching of the gospel, but also in the church that is the pillar and support of that preaching. So if you look at uh, verses 23 and following, you see how Paul outlines this. But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there. After I have enjoyed your company for a while, now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in service of the Lord's people there. So Paul's saying, listen, Romans, here's a heads up. I'm coming to you on my way to Spain. And my hope is that you will join in as mission partners of me for the mission to Spain. So far, nobody has taken that gospel to the Spanish people. Paul wants to go there. Rather than keep preaching in the areas where the gospel has been, he wants to go to an area where the gospel has not been, and he hopes that Rome will be the church that sends him there. I was reminded of this a little while ago, just how much we need the support. The reality is everything that we do, all these Christmas events, all these online events, they don't work if it's just Tim and I trying to do something. They only work if it has the full support of the church that sends these things and prays for these things and gives towards these things and invites people to these things. We need you. And this is precisely what Paul is saying. He highlights three particular things. In verses 23 to 29, he highlights giving. I hope that you will give to support the mission in Spain. I hope that you will send me and supply me with what I need to go and proclaim the gospel there. Giving is vital. We make very little of giving in this church because we feel like some movements in the church have made too much of it. And so we're kind of reacting a bit against that to make people understand that it's, we don't gather here because we want people's money. We want people to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we might be overreacting a little bit in the sense that we make so little of giving that you might hardly think it actually goes on. It does go on, and it's vitally important to the mission of God, and we're thankful to God at work through the giving of the church. Because without it, the mission cannot move forward. That's primarily why we give. It's an act of worship that serves the mission of the gospel of peace. And Paul says not only giving financially or with your time or support, but it's also giving in prayer. It's praying for. So you see in verses 30 to 33, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. It's vital to Christ's work through the church in the world today is the prayers of the people to support the ministry of the gospel as it's proclaimed around. 
We want this because we want this gospel of peace, this love of God to be known. And it can't happen. It won't happen if it's just one or two people going off on their own. We have to do it together. Not everyone is going to be a missionary. Not everyone is going to be a preacher. But everybody is involved in this mission through supporting, through giving, through praying, and obviously through preaching. I think what is also implied in the background of all of this is that the way the church supports the gospel is by living a life that reflects the gospel, living in view of God's mercy. I think Paul hasn't just been sort of, he's not just starting a whole new subject, having sort of done a long caveat of loving each other. No, that's important because Rome cannot be a supporting church to the gospel of God's love for the nations if it's a gospel where everyone hates, if it's a church where everyone hates each other. It doesn't work that way. If the church doesn't know how to act mercifully, it's because it doesn't understand the gospel of God's mercy. And so how can it support the gospel of God's mercy if it doesn't know what mercy means? No, Paul wants the church to understand the gospel, understand how how radically that impacts the way that we treat each other, and so that that church can be a supporting base for his gospel in Spain. We want to share those things that are important to us. Yesterday, I was very, very tempted to text a lot of my Scottish friends. I don't know why that would have been. It may have been to do with the fact that South Africa walloped them in the rugby, as they wallop every nation these days. But I wanted to text people about it, but I thought I'd wait because South Africa is going to wallop England next week. And I'd use up some of my texting credit then to text people and let them know just how wonderful South Africa is as a rugby nation. But it wasn't hard for me to want to share the news of South Africa's victory or England's victory. They beat Australia. I'm always happy when people beat Australia at sport. But it wasn't hard for me to want to share that news because it was exciting. It was something that I wanted to tell people, and this is what we want as Christians. And people want to know this. I was reminded of this the other day, and I'll, I'll close with this. I remind us of this the other day, that I, I went to drop my, my son off at, at football, and there's always this moment when I meet new people where I wonder how it's going to go because there's that moment when you introduce yourself to people and they ask you, Oh, who are you? You know, what's your name? What do you do? And then that moment is a kind of make or break for me with relationships with people outside. Because when I say that I'm kind of a pastor at the church, I can tell instantly how the relationship's going to go from that point. Because whenever I say, oh, I'm a pastor, I'm actually at Bethesda Baptist Church, the roundabout where the littles, and I've got this whole speech that I kind of uh, work out. And then someone, at that moment, someone will say, oh. And then I know the relationship's over. They're not going to talk to me again. Um, they're going to avoid me judiciously every, every football practice from now on. Or they go, oh. And I think, oh. There's, there's possibility here. And just that exact same thing happened. It was quite extraordinary. Um, I was meant to drop my son off and come back. Now long football practice. I ended up staying there for a whole hour fielding questions from someone who was just desperate to know what it is that Christians actually believed, what they what they thought was true and how they knew it was true and what was the difference and just for an hour somebody asking questions asking questions i don't want to make this think that this happens every day it doesn't but people do want to know 
And it's to people like that in particular that we need to get this message of hope to because they are ready to hear it, ready to listen. And so I say this to encourage you because at that moment, and maybe this will be your experience, maybe you too, and, and to be honest, if, I, if I'm totally honest, it was actually someone else in the church who shared a similar experience that made me a little bit jealous. And so I prayed to the Lord and I said, Lord, I want one of those experiences too. And he gave me one. And so maybe it will be that the Lord has something like this in mind for you where you would have a meaningful relationship and conversation with someone where you can introduce them to the gospel. It may be that that isn't what the Lord has in mind, but that doesn't make you any less involved in the mission. Through prayer, through giving, through supporting the preaching of the gospel in the church and in the world, this is how Christ is at work even today. Let's pray and then we'll stand and sing together. Our Father, thank you so much that Christ is involved not only in the past, that you are involved not only in the past, but to the present day, that you are our servant, saviour and king, that you are our missionary and our proclaimer of the gospel of peace. And thank you that even today you are at work through the ministry of word and sacrament and through the people of God as we support, as we pray, as we witness Father, we thank you so much. May we be a lampstand shining brightly in a dark world. And Father, may all come to know the truth of who you are and what you've done for us. May they come to know the God of peace. May we be your instruments to see this happen. In Jesus' name, amen.